We have been talking the last few weeks on this theme of your best you as we uh, journey our way uh, through our Core 52 material. And we have looked at the themes of your best you is changing and your best you is free and your best you is wise and your best you is rested. And um, today we come to that theme of rested. And that's based on this verse uh, from Mark chapter two, verses 27 and 28 in which Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And uh, as Jesus talks there, he underscores a word and a theme that is used throughout scripture. And Mark Moore's reading, uh, writing this week, uh, I loved his reflection on, on this sentence, that our practice of Sabbath is a gift we receive, resting from work to refresh our souls, worship God with other believers, and reconnect with family and friends so that we can invest in our communities. I love that theme, though, that the Sabbath is a gift we receive. Oftentimes, we look at the commands of God, whatever they may be, and we feel like it's a thing we have to do, not a gift we receive that really benefits us when we engage in it. And certainly, this theme of rest, of Sabbath, uh, that is a, is a key thing from Old Testament to New Testament. Last year, Baba Joe and I uh, attended a retreat, um, and in the midst of that, I came across a book called Rest in the Storm uh, by Kirk Byron Jones, and it's a book written for preachers and caregivers and people like that, um, and uh, it was a good and helpful book um, because of a metaphor that he uses. That's kind of the theme of the book. It's based on a, th on a story out of Mark chapter 4. Uh, where Jesus is, is on a boat and uh, there's a violent storm that arises. But Jesus is in the back of the boat while everyone else is busy and scurrying around trying to, uh, to save the boat. Jesus is asleep in the back and, and he does reflections on that. And it says this in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, and going to set the context, on that day, it's been a long day. Jesus has been teaching all day, oftentimes from the boat as he speaks out to the crowd that gathers on the shore. And so it's been a long day, and Jesus has taught all day long, and, and now they're going about to set across the, the Sea of Galilee, which is about a 10-mile journey, and it's evening time. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them, took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filled. But he was in the stern, in the back of the boat, asleep on the cushion. Now I have some artwork, a, a visual representation of what that looked like. Um, if you still want to see that, um, that uh, this is the twelve disciples and Jesus and. And a man with cute mittens in the boat. So I don't know. I don't know that Bernie was there, but everybody else is doing that. So I thought, there's your one chance to laugh today. Okay. So, all right. So we'll move on with the text. But I do want to get you the picture of of this theme, right? Of uh, um, we can go on to the text now. We don't need to put that picture. Although the picture may be much more better than what I have to say. Anyway, just get the picture though, right? A storm, waves swamping the boat. It's full. There is an intense storm. The boat is filling with water rapidly. There are fearful disciples. This is a stressful situation um, that's going on. But yet Jesus has retreated to the back of the boat and he is asleep. And that's just an interesting theme and, and idea. And so verse 35, the disciples go and they wake him up and they say to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing here? 
All right, they, they're just full of fear and faithlessness and, and they think this is the end for them. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea or the waves obey him? Kirk Byron Jones goes on to use that story and much other things he says, but this little paragraph was meaningful to me. That we must learn to make it to the back of the boat if we are going to overcome what he calls self-violence in ministry or whatever your career may be. Self-violence is his term to describe the harm that we do to ourselves when we just push ourselves beyond the limits, beyond the limits of rest or the time to stop and pause, nutrition, all those kind of things. All the things that when we just put the pedal to the metal and just keep going and don't stop, he calls that self-violence. The back of the boat, he goes on to say, is a metaphor, a symbol of the, of the necessary break from the activism of life in general and the rigors of ministry or whatever you do in particular. The back of the boat is not a luxury. Time spent in the back of the boat is not optional. If our intention is to lead a healthy, balanced, and productive life, it is the back of the boat time, the off time that makes the front of the boat time, the on time, possible. Jesus, again, at the end of a long day, checked out and fell asleep. And things went on without him. And Jesus, as I reflected on what that book talked about and just looking at Jesus' life, Jesus did not live as if he was indispensable or invincible. Read that sentence again. Jesus did not live his life, an earthly life, as if he was indispensable and invincible. Now, was he indispensable and invincible? Yes, he was. But did he live his life that way? No, he did not. He wasn't panicked by the storm. In fact, he seems a little put out that his disciples had this much stress about the situation and lacked faith in that moment, which is an interesting response of Jesus because most of us would respond just as the disciples did. But he was able to step back, to let go, and to sleep, to rest. And I think when he speaks peace to the storm, I think it's his, almost his implied w wish of, I wish the same peace that I could create in the storm, I wish I could create it in you all. I wish I could create it in you, my disciples, because you're fearful, you're afraid, you lack faith in me, and I just want to speak peace into your soul as much as I do in this storm. And so today we want to think about this idea of, of rest, and certainly Sabbath has the idea of physical rest. We stop working, we stop doing those kinds of things, but when the Bible talks about rest, it isn't just talking about you being physically rested while your soul is just withering away inside of you. It certainly speaks, if not more so, to a soul rest, to a condition of your soul that is, that is calm, that is rested, that is okay. And so the theme of rest and Sabbath comes up all over the scriptures from Old to New Testament. And we interact with stories all the time that highlight the purpose and the need and the practice of this holy habit that gives rest to our life. And God was serious about taking time to find our way back to the back of the boat, to continue his metaphor, to disengage, to rest, to recharge, to refocus. And the best version of you is that version of you. It is not the stressed out, tired, cranky, crabby version of you. 
that comes when you don't practice this habit. And so let's look at this idea. A couple, we'll look at, we're going to look at this maybe chronologically first in your Bible. Let's go back to uh, the very beginning. Rest in the very beginning. This whole theme of rest and Sabbath isn't something that comes along with Moses. It comes along in the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says on the seventh day that God had finished his work of creation. And so he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. And so God sets in motion this rhythm of life where he, he created six days and on the seventh he stopped. Um, and when he did that, it wasn't because he was just so wiped out and so tired he just couldn't make any more giraffes, right? It wasn't, that wasn't the thing. He wasn't exhausted because scripture says he just spoke the words and it came into being. But what he's doing is he's setting up something that he wants his creation to do, a, a rhythm of life. And so when God spoke, he, he used this word that becomes the Sabbath day. Shabbat is the Hebrew word that means to cease or to stop. It later means Sabbath or a day of rest, and especially in the Old Testament and in the Jesus, life of Jesus. And then you get to Moses, when he gives us the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments. And of all the commands that are there, the word remember only appears in one of them. And it's the one that calls this people to reflect and to remember why they're doing this. Again, it wasn't just, I want you to have a day off. It was, I want you to stop and I want you to think. I want you to remember. In Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days uh, each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one, is, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. And so for the rest of Israel's history, leading up to the time of Jesus, you find God emphasizing this. Again, it, it comes in command form. It, it comes in the form of do this. But God's heart is always, I want you to do this because this is a gift to you. Everybody else works seven days a week and they've just got the pedal to the metal. I want you to stop and I want you to think about who you are and why you're here, and what matters, and, and what's important, and, and what you should do, and I want you to come back the next day rested and refreshed and, and be more productive than ever. And so God instituted this idea, this six days on, seven, one day off is a part of their week, and they lived that way, and that was the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes up and, and rests in the New Testament. It, it carries on that theme into the time of Jesus, but then it begins to take a little different form. In the New Testament, believers still worshiped on a day of the week, just as they had in the Old Testament. But in the time of Jesus, it kind of switched from Saturday to Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Mark 16, 9 says, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, and that became a shift for the Christians that, that they celebrated the day, the Lord's day, that he came back from the dead. And so most often Christians would gather, uh, again, they didn't live in a culture anymore where it was six days on, seven days off. Many of them came up, grew up in a, lived in a, a slave culture, a servant culture, and they didn't have that day off. But so they would gather early in the morning on that Sunday morning in catacombs and caves and all over the Roman Empire and the world uh, to celebrate the risen Christ on that morning. And that became a, a holier day, a day that they focused, they reminded, and they paused for a little while to re reflect and to soul, rest their souls in a bigger story than just the day in, day out of their life. 
And then Jesus shows up and in his legal and in, in his struggle, I, I wrote this sentence out. I don't I hope this makes sense, but it says Jesus broke the legalistic rules of the Pharisees on Sabbath. Now let's pause there. You can keep reading if you want. But the, by the time from Moses to the time of Jesus, this command, the simple command to stop and don't work, just take a day to reflect and remember had become a list of, of hundreds of different ticky-tack rules of what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. There's a story in Scripture of where Jesus and his disciples are walking through a wheat field, and a few of them just pick a few heads of grain, and they, and they crush it in their hand, and they pop a few of the seeds into their mouth as they're walking along just because they're a little hungry, and it wasn't major. It didn't combine the whole field, um, but they just took a few, and, and yet the Pharisees were said, no, you're, you're, you're harvesting on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And over and over, Jesus, one of the most popular days for Jesus to heal people was the Sabbath because he knew it would get the, the Pharisees all worked up. He knew he could confront their legalistic rules that had been added to this beautiful and simple command, and he could confront that. And so Jesus broke the legalistic rules of the Pharisees on Sabbath keeping while still keeping the Sabbath, though, and benefiting from it. So Jesus didn't overreact and say, well, you guys have added so much legalism to it. We're just going to go the other way. We're not going to Sabbath at all. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. He rested. He took time in his day and his week um, to, to rest, to focus, to remember who he was and where he'd come from and what he was there for. And so the pattern of Jesus isn't a legalistic pattern, but it is a healthy one, receiving the gift of rest that God gives. And he observed that, and he, he did that with his disciples. And then you get to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, many of his writings. And Paul talks several times about keeping Sabbath rest while fighting the legalism that is easy to creep into any rule or command in Scripture. And anytime there's a command, legalism can always just creep into it in so many easy ways. But Paul would write this, again, a perspective on, on keeping the rules, uh, keeping the Sabbath rule or, or not, or, or keeping Old Testament things or not. And he basically makes it an issue of conscience more than an issue of command biblically. In the same way, some uh, think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. So what he's doing is contrasting the Jews and the Gentiles who were together now in the church and Jewish people came into the church thinking, you know, I've got this whole mental thing of that Saturday, that's an important day in my life. And, and it's in my conscience, I still am drawn to that. And you've got Gentiles who had no holy days like that. And they came into this church thinking, I don't know why you guys are, I'm not going to do that. And, and that's not my thing. And so Paul is trying to blend them together and say, hey, some of you think this, some of you think that, and that's okay. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. It's okay. It's a matter of conscience. It's the principle of, of Sabbathing. It's not the legalistic interpretation of it. He goes on to say, those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it with honor. And those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. And so you see how your conscience and your, your mind and maybe your background can influence some of those things. And Paul says those are all good and, good and okay. Um, Colossians chapter two, he reflects this one last one. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. So again, it's that whole tension between Jews and Gentiles. He says, hey, this is a complicated thing. It's a hard thing. Um, but that old religious legalistic thing is gone. But the principle is still the same. Paul was helping to free the people from this burden of legalism that was weighing on them. And rather than looking forward to the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, people were feeling it was a legalistic burden that was hard for them that they just had to do. 
And he talks about this personal thing between us and God and making sure that we are aiming to honor God in all that we do or don't do on any certain day. And so that idea of, of rest, though, is there throughout. They never throw out the baby with the bathwater as they wrestle with those legalistic things that can have developed. And so here's the idea. Here's the basic principle I just want us to understand and, and take away from today. That God designed us for times of rest. That you and your life, just like me and my life, we are designed to be a people who find our way to the back of the boat. People who say, you know what, all the busyness, the chaos, the emotions, all that stuff is going to continue to go on, but I need to retreat. I need to just step away. And that may be a day in a week, which is great. That may be a few moments in your morning, a few minutes in your day, at different times of your day. That may be in small chunks of time where it's just throughout your day that I just stop and I reflect and I re re retreat um, and I realize, God, my soul needs rest. The world is chaotic. It is full of all kinds of things, but I need to retreat to that quiet place. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, um, you find Jesus saying to his disciples, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. That verse comes in the context of the news being brought to Jesus that John the Baptist had just been beheaded um, that he was dead now. That was both a relational thing and a, and a kingdom thing. That was sad news. He had fed the 5,000 and the multitudes of crowds that had demanded his attention that day. He was tired. They were exhausted. And so he invites them. We need to retreat. We need to step back here and rest for a moment. Because Jesus understood the importance of rest in our life. Because what happens when we don't rest? And I don't really don't have to answer this question. You probably could give some, or if you're, if you're here with a friend or a family member, they could probably tell you what happens when you don't rest, right? When you don't rest, increase or stress increases. There's an increase in stress in your life and that just does all kinds of things to your life. It depresses the immune system and increases disease, which is basically after a time, your body has a way of making you stop because you get sick if you just keep your pedal to the metal all the time. It impacts not only our physical, but our emotional system, bringing fatigue, doubt, discouragement, defeats, despair, burnout, all kinds of things creep into your life if you don't take the time to practice this rest. It creates an out of balance feeling that says, I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, busier, busier is better, and it just drives you forward into this vicious cycle that just grinds your soul to nothing. It leaves you in a terrible place, but... The Bible instead invites you to experience this. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It says, don't worry about anything. Again, spoken into a context of stressed out, maxed out, burned out people. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So again, there's that quiet place, that rest of the soul that God invites us to, to step back from the chaos to the back of the boat, just be quiet and rest in who God is, what God has done, what God will do in you and for you. You see, when we practice this kind of living, a restful kind of living versus the stressed out kind of living, it also produces different kinds of fruit in our life. You see, a sufficient amount of rest increases creativity, productivity, focus, and memory. 
It reorients our thinking patterns and increases our ability to resist temptation. It recharges our batteries and strengthens us to resist worry and factors that wear us down. It refreshes us in our mind, in our hearts. You feel different, react different, think different. It simply revives us. And so these times of rest, these places of rest, finding our way, choosing to go to the back of the boat, again, if it's for a whole day or if it's just moment by moment throughout a busy day, it does things to us. And really what it does is what Isaiah chapter 26, verse three um, describes, this beautiful verse. You, God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed upon you. There is this perfect peace. Again, Jesus is a great example of that. He lived such a peaceful life, but there was so much chaos going on around him, conflict and and hatred and demands, but he just lived in this perfect peace because he trusted in his father and his thoughts were always fixed on him. And so when you and I engage in this process of Sabbath, of rest, of of engaging in a day or, or engaging in moment by moment throughout our days, we can experience that more peaceful soul level living. And so think about this transition of what it means from the chaos and the busyness of the world to this peaceful place that God invites us to. Again, these familiar verses in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this, come to me. All of you who are weary and you're carrying such heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, not the heavy yoke of your carrying around from the world and all of its burdens and struggles. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and I am gentle at heart and you will find rest for your soul. Twice in that passage, he promises us what we need, rest. But it's not found in busyness and activity. It's found in quietness and surrender and the back of the boat. It's found in a quiet place, not just working harder and engaging more. There needs to be a place in your life, a time in your life when you are engaging those quiet places and you take your burdens and you take your weariness and you exchange it for the rest of Jesus. And you learn from him and you listen to him And you allow his humble and his gentle heart to come and serve your weary and broken and hard, struggling heart. And what Jesus invites us is to just breathe. He invites us to breathe and just be quiet because there's rest in that. God wants to give you rest and everything about us Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's all intertwined together. We are one human being. And so when we work in those ways, that rest affects all of us. And so it is possible to experience this peace, this rest that Jesus gives us. Again, throughout a busy and chaotic life and days, you may have to go back there on a pretty regular basis. And you should. It's a beautiful place to live. But God wants to give us rest. So as we work together, we can experience that. But if we choose to not unload those burdens, if we choose to not unload our worries and our weariness, 
what we carry around with us are things that make it impossible for us to experience rest. Our anxiety, we are anxious. It's impossible to rest when you are anxious or when you carry heavy burdens. And some of us do. You just go through life and, and you carry those things around and, and they are heavy. And it is impossible to, to rest. It's that whole feeling of I don't do enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not accomplishing enough. So you push yourself and that is never a place of rest. No, on the one hand, that's, that's a good. It's good to be driven. But a drive that never lets the f- foot off the gas pedal, it's gonna burn that engine out pretty quick. It's impossible to rest when you wrestle with that. It's, a, when you, it's impossible to rest when you wrestle with unmet expectations. Those, those expectations, well, I can do everything. I can please everyone. I can be all things to all people, and you can't. Again, Jesus chose to live as if he was not indispensable and he was not um, invincible. He chose to live that way. And so he's the one who was indispensable and he was valuable, right? He could do all things but he still chose to live like that when he was in a body like us. And we choose to flip that. We flip that too much in our life and we don't experience God's rest because of it. It's impossible to rest when you struggle with unfair circumstances and the injustices of the world. And if you just keep carrying those around thinking, oh, these bad things have happened to me. And they have, I'm not denying that they have, but I'm saying there's a place to take them to the humble and gentle heart of Jesus who cares about those broken things in your life. It is impossible to rest when you hold on to unresolved conflict or bitterness. Again, those kinds of things, when we refuse to let go of them, that rest is going to be hard to experience. And so that may involve some very honest, tearful conversations with Jesus as you unload your yoke and you take on his lighter yoke in your life. And so to find greatness, to find help in life, to find this rest that our souls need, what does it look like? What do we need? Well, the Bible speaks a lot about our mind and about our actions. In Hebrews chapter four, verses one and two, it says God's promise of entering his rest still stands. And so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. And God promises rest to those who would believe him. Hebrews four, three will go on to say, for only we who believe can enter his rest. So our faith in him, again, where did Jesus confront his disciples in the boat? Oh, you've been with me this time and you're still freaked out. Don't you know what I can do for you? And so there's a faithfulness, there's a, there's a rest that comes by believing Jesus and, and also walking in obedience. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, and this righteousness or this rightness with God, which includes both my standing with God and my actions with God, my right living with God will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. Hebrews 4, 6, going back to that chapter in Hebrews 4. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. It's about fixing our thoughts on God and keeping that focus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Psalm 112, verse 7, this beautiful verse that I think is so relevant for any Christian living in the world today. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. I see it myself. I see too many Christian people I know who are freaked out in this world right now. They do not fear bad news. 
They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. We are caught in a world between angry people and fearful people. But Jesus says neither one of those paths is the path to rest. The path of rest is that they don't fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. That's a convicting verse. Colossians 3.1, again, invites us to set our minds on Jesus, to go to the back of the boat where he resides. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. You may have a lot of things on your daily calendar and your agenda that are good and important, and you need to do them with all of your hearts, but there needs to be times regular times, scheduled times, when you withdraw from all of that activity and you remind yourself that I have been raised to a new life with Christ. And I am setting my sights in the realities of heaven, not the realities of this world, because that's a different perspective. There's a different strength, a different hope that comes there. And that Christ sits in the place of honor. He sits as king at God's right hand. And so you and I are invited to experience this rest. And your best version of you is this rested version of you. And so it's my hope and my prayer that you would begin to engage in that. That maybe make some hard decisions. Maybe it involves saying no to a few things every once in a while so that you may have some time to do that. Maybe it's just a daily thing just those moments in the morning when it's quiet and and you take the time to engage or maybe it's throughout your day, your lunchtime or whenever it may be that you have a moment, even in the midst of a crazy chaotic world that you intentionally engage that rest. That God, the world is stressful and crazy and angry and afraid but there is this place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. So may we engage it May we receive and use this beautiful gift of rest that he gives for our souls and be a better version of ourselves for it. Would you pray with me, please? Our God and our Father, thank you for this gift of rest, of peace for our souls. God, you say in the book of Isaiah that it is in repentance and rest that our salvation comes. That it's in quietness and trust that we find your strength. And so, Father God, we come just in the quietness of this place. In the stillness of this moment, we breathe and we we think and we reflect on these truths of who you are and who Christ is and what he has done for us. We long to experience that rest and that peace at our soul level. So God, in the quietness and the peace of this moment, we, we trust in you. We trust our past has been dealt with. We trust that you are presently working in our, in our nows, that all things are working out towards your good and ultimately ours, and that our future has this incredible hope to it. There is not a thing that this world can do that diminishes that. And so, Father, help us to live in that peace and the strength that comes from that peace and that calmness. Father, if there be burdens, 
that people are carrying today. If they are weary, they're anxious, would you just cause us now and convict us, just cast that on Jesus, who with his humble and gentle heart comes to take that yoke off of us and puts his light yoke upon us as he walks beside us through life. Father, help us. Help us to know that rest. Thank you for Jesus who comes who does such a good work in us. And we pray these things in his good and beautiful name. Amen.